Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The desire for a child can be profound. Some women dream about children from a very early age, cradling them in their arms as being babes themselves. Teenagers often will think obsessively about the idea of a baby or meeting the right person. But then something's happening in our culture. So we enter into the late teens, early 20s, and the attitude is delay, delay, delay at all costs. Not a baby right now and maybe not even a baby ever. But the maternal desire always lifts its head at some point, sometimes for women too late, sometimes at a point where women are grasping at straws in order to have a child. We're going to talk today about the maternal profound desire for a child and in vitro fertilization, various the third-party reproductive technologies, fertility and infertility. If you have a question today, my specialist joining us is Dr. Susan Caldwell. She is a NAPRO physician specializing in fertility and infertility, treating and working with underlying health causes that women face. She herself actually coincidentally, in addition, to being a medical physician, has also had her own journey away from the Catholic Church, back into the church, struggling with infertility, going through in vitro fertilization, seeing the impact it had on her body, her marriage, and many other things. She has children from IVF, but would never recommend it to anyone. She's here to share her candid medical advice, as well as her own perspective and her Catholic faith. She'll join us in just a minute, and just a little bit here on Trending, we're going to walk through the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit series, talking about the virtue of goodness, that fruit of goodness. We talk to our kids about being good, but that at some point we kind of just start, stop talking about it unless you're saying, hey, I'm a good person, almost as a defense. We'll also take your abortion-related questions. The number is one 914 9149. You can also ask your question now on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Just follow me there at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. As I mentioned before, Dr. Susan Caldwell is a medical physician, NAPRO specialist working with fertility and infertility. It really is the tried and true, proven, effective thing helping women through fertility crises today. Dr. Caldwell, I want to discuss with you, both from your medical perspective as well as um, as having been someone that's been through in vitro fertilization and not recommending it to anyone. We've talked about your journey here before, but I keep following uh, Dr. Caldwell these sensationalized stories of um, 
so many women and couples, whether it be on YouTube and social media, where you grieve and rejoice with these women and couples as they battle infertility and then hope and rejoice with them as they work toward holding their own baby. Even though we sorrow and rejoice, it doesn't always make the means of achieving motherhood and a child right, especially when we enter into third-party reproductive technologies. Uh, Dr. Caldwell, the maternal desire is so profound, and I would say it often catches up with women who may not have experienced it at a younger age or suppressed it or delayed it or ran from it. In your experience as a medical physician and someone who has used IVF, and you say you wouldn't recommend it to anyone, what do you make of these stories that are pulling at many of our heartstrings? Yeah, I think, you know, they shine the light into a deep place in a woman's heart that is very different, I think, than the man's heart. Because I, you know, I meet with these women often and man, it is so hard to sit with a woman who wants nothing more than to have a baby or to have a husband um, when there is no baby and there is no husband. Um, it's painful because, you know, as women, we, we uh, kind of take on other people's pain, emotional pain. And so, you know, when I'm sitting with these women who are so desperate, they've, many of them have been through IVF. They've been through all these uh, intrauterine inseminations and the Clomid and the shots. And, um, uh, you know, I just remember this week meeting with a woman who had had uh, two children naturally who was turning 40 and um, got scared. She just got scared all of a sudden because she had these two children, but she just recognized that she had this deep, deep longing for another child. She got super scared. She went to her doctor, an IVF doctor, ended up having egg retrieval frozen. Like she went on this mad race to have, she, she flew across the country. She had all this stuff done and, and, and she ended up, you know, she, I think they, they took one egg and, and it wasn't, and then they created a, a, a little embryo called a blastocyst. Um, but it, it, they were in the middle of testing it for genetic markers. Anyway, like I'm just caught up in the frenzy of this woman's story and I'm finding myself caught up in it, you know, because mm -hmm. I, I see, I get it. It's hard. And, and I, but I was at the same time just thinking, okay, how far do we go with that? You know, like at some point we can't just keep going and going and going to the next, you know, thing. We have to realize like, we have to, we need some help. We need the, the virtue. We need some virtue here, like of prudence and uh, some discernment. And um, anyway, it, it was, it was very hard to watch it, but I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned these stages of development that you see happen through whether it be the egg retrieval and artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization, also known as IVF. I was following one story recently of a couple who they're all over social media and they did recently just have a baby via a surrogate. But the journey there, Dr. Caldwell, was so heartbreaking. This woman um, doesn't have a uterus, so she can't carry a child herself. Um, and so they were able to retrieve eggs from her and sperm from her husband, create a new human life. And um, as the journey goes, she did three rounds of IVF. 
They had 24 fertilizers in the last round. I remember following the stories or celebrating and posting on social media when they said they had 24 fertilized eggs. That is, as you and I know, new babies in the earliest stage of development. Mm -hmm. And then just days mm -hmm. later, Dr. Caldwell, they share that nine made it to day five of development and they're cheering this on. And my heart is breaking, <laughs> recognizing there are 15 mm -hmm. babies who were put into a hostile environment in a mm -hmm. science experiment that died in this process. And then they celebrate that now they've dropped from nine to now they say there are six, quote, genetically normal embryos. And my heart mm. goes, well, what about mm. the other three? Were they not genetically normal? Did you mm. selectively abort them? Because as you and I know, that's part of the yes. process. Yes. And then days later, they say four babies made it to mm. – or four made it to day mm. six. And so as I'm following this story and I'm reading, you know, the sudden and rapid drop off of these babies, and then all of a sudden in each stage, they're celebrating in each stage, I'm yes. mourning all of these lives that have been lost. And then they celebrate their good news that one baby they've achieved, they've implanted in the mm. surrogate and is developing well. And yeah, I'm sitting here going, mm -mm. what mm -mm. happened to all those other babies? Yes. Were they aborted? Yes. Or did we, because we're trying to do an experiment, and it is an experiment, we're trying it so is. hard to have babies, we're putting them in environments mm -hmm. that they normally were not created to be in because they're not the original environment that was no. conducive to begin with. And so I just, as I'm following this, I want to hear your thoughts because yeah. I know it's hard. Mm. You've been there, Dr. Caldwell, yeah. with that desire to have babies going through this process. Yes. How do we yeah. follow these <laughs> stories and sometimes want to celebrate with people, but at the same time yeah. also recognize how wrong it is? Right. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I mean, yes, you want to recognize the joy that is new life, but we also need to mourn the loss of lives. And, and this, you know, IVF, just like you said, this is a highly abortive technology. You know, we need to admit that we, we can't just, you know, follow our passions, you know, at, at, at any cost. Um, you know, I remember just a very, you know, I'm hearing this, this longing, you know, that this woman had and, and, and I'm remembering my own longing for children and, and it was, I was going to stop at nothing, right. To get my children. And I, you know, by the grace of God have three beautiful children, but I had a lot of problems getting those, having those children and, and the, the technology is horrible. And I have many, many, you know, probably, you know, uh, probably um, to maybe to, somewhere between uh, somewhere around 20 babies that lost their lives be so that my three could live. So, oh you know, but fast forward, right, right. And so, I, you know, I just, um, yeah, I just grieve them more and more as time goes on. But then I remember, you know, as they got older, that longing just re-manifested itself. In other words, that longing, if we don't know what to do with that longing, so, so it, it's going to, to hurt us. So I remember they were, you know, at maybe uh, 10 years old. And, and I just remember feeling like so empty again, you know, so, so not satisfied with my children and not satisfied with my marriage at some point when God didn't mm -hmm. have the proper place mm -hmm. in my life, you know, and, and did, I don't know if you read the anti-Mary exposed by Carrie. Yes. Hess. 
Yes, but she mentioned book. in that book, there's this woman, Betty Friedan, one of the major proponents mm-hmm. of feminism in the 60s. She wrote this yes. book called The Feminine Mystique. And she was trying to put words to this common experience of women, this longing, like women are just not happy being just mothers and wives. They want something more, you know? So my point is that that those women who are now, hus- I remember just being married and having children, and that wasn't enough because we're not made just for our husbands and for our children. So, so I think that the longing that these women are, are experiencing, that I experienced, it was this longing for for God. To be honest, like the emptiness that I experienced, this longing, a beautiful that I identified as a deep longing for children and 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 uh, marriage to fulfill me, it I, it was way too much weight on those on those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so what happens once I had the marriage and I had the husband and I had all the money and I was a doctor and I was making you know all the things that that the world says you need, it wasn't enough. I needed more. I needed more. I needed more because that's how God made us. For more and more and more. So I think we need to just see these, these longings for what they are, even, even in the twisted ways, you know, uh, our culture is naming, oh, the longing, oh, you must really be, maybe you're a woman and you really are supposed to be a man and, or maybe you need to, you know, <laughs> my point is these longings are infinite. These longings mm-hmm. are infinite. And so we can't do, we have to be careful. We can't just, facilitate and enable these longings to be met any way that we decide that they should be met, right? We have to go back and ask God, where are these longings coming from? What am I made for? And the, those longings, as you're saying, ultimately are what are directing us and orienting us, the deepest longings of our heart for God. St. Augustine, who lived there, he's been there, he's done that. He lived a very sinful lifestyle, like so many. And I think that we can identify so well with him when he says in the confessions, my soul was restless until it rests in thee, God. Like his soul was so restless. Mm -hmm. And until he realized what he was longing for, that constant desire, as you say, Dr. Caldwell, for more and more and more was God. And I think that it's fascinating because as you mentioned, you know, you thought having these babies was going to make you happier, becoming the great accomplishment of being a doctor and being a female doctor, you know, having your marriage, all these things. You, I think all of us look at all of these things and we go, well, you're not making me happy. And I thought you were going to. And then we almost become begin to resent those things yes. or just chase for more. But the reality is, is that what we've been looking for all this time is God. And he's been with us since the very beginning. And it's <laughs> as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in a big moment of crisis or a short, brief moment of crisis. Mm, yes. Amen. So to acknowledge these desires that they're there and they have a purpose, they have a purpose to orient us to a bigger, you know, plan and we can create for ourselves. So that's great. And just sometimes we need to accept what is or isn't there. You know, we, that's again, we, we have to have these, our, our human, we are so weak as humans. We can't just follow our desires. We need to have supernatural grace to help 
you know, guardrails, if you will. Like our desires are powerful and they're beautiful and God doesn't want us to smother those or to, 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 to kind of, um, you know, diminish them. Heck no. Right. Like if we were, you know, you know, when my kids were little, we, we got on the, uh, we played bowling and, you know, if, if I just let them use all their strength to throw that ball down the, down the, um, the, the way there, the, um, whatever it's, <laughs> whatever the words, are um, it, then it's always going to go in the gutter. It's always going to go in the gutter because they're not trained. They're not strong. Their muscles aren't there. You know, they aren't, they aren't skilled. Right. And that's how we all are as humans. And we really need the, the, guidance of the church and we need prayer and we need the virtues to help order, you know, our desires towards good, what God says is good. And sometimes it, it, it will be a child, you know, or a, or a good husband, a good marriage. And sometimes it'll be something else that God is trying to orient us towards that we don't even have the eyes to see at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it takes discernment to see that. It takes yes. some silence. It takes pulling back. Dr. Susan Caldwell here on Trending with Timory, a NAPRA physician, a specialist in fertility and infertility. We're going to take your questions, whether it's IVF related, fertility, infertility related. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. Please, if you have that question, now is your opportunity. She's here to help be a resource to you. So often people will ask the question two minutes after the show's over. They send it to me the day after. We're happy to take them, but I hope you'll take advantage of this time. Dr. Caldwell, as we're talking about these sensationalized IVF stories and surrogacy stories online, the big crisis and challenge is that having a baby is good news. Becoming a mother is good news. The means of getting there, as we've discussed, is so heartbreaking and so uh, so damaging in the process for the babies and the couple and the mother from health reasons, do you name it. Um, but as we want to celebrate these stories, I think that we have to recognize the good, that it's okay to be excited when someone has a child, when someone becomes mm-hmm. a mom. But at the same time, it's okay to recognize the means of getting there wasn't okay but we can mm-hmm. still recognize someone can still be a good mom. Someone can, and that yes. baby is still a gift and that baby is still a good. And I think that sometimes uh, Catholics and Christians are criticized for thinking that IVF is so evil. We demonize the parents and we demonize the child. Mm-hmm. But what you and I are saying is that desire for a child is good. The desire to be a mom, becoming a mom, all these things are good things. Just the process isn't okay. And so I think that when we're confused with wanting to celebrate and use that to justify IVF, we need to take Mm -hmm. a step back and see the good that we are happy about, but acknowledge the problems along the way. Right. And then to have the discernment to know you know, sometimes we just, we should not share our thoughts, you know, (laughs) with on social media or even with, you know, the person who um, is, is pregnant or has the baby. And sometimes, yeah, just, we can just pray for them and, um, and know that, you know, when we use a disordered means to achieve a good end, that, that causes wounds, soul wounds, body wounds. um, And, and eventually that person will have to deal with those consequences. So they do need our support, our love, our prayers, our, our kindness and our mercy in the meantime, you know, until that process has come, you know, come to full, to, to, to light, to, to the consequences have come to light. 
That's Dr. Susan Caldwell, NAPRA Physician Specialist in Fertility and Infertility. We're going to come right back taking your questions. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Fertility, infertility, IVF, third-party reproduction. If you even want to learn a little bit more about the impact on Dr. Caldwell, we're happy to take your question. Again, you can ask online. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to ask your question. Or you can also give me a call, 1-888-914-9149. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Dr. Susan Caldwell is here. She's a NAPRO specialist, a medical physician specializing in fertility and infertility. We've also been talking about IVF as in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, and all those third-party reproductive technologies that in part often involved abortion put new babies in the early stages of development in very compromising situations, as well as having a massive impact on the health of the woman going through the process. We're taking your questions now. The number is 1-888-914-9149. You can also ask your question now on social media. Dr. Caldwell, one of the most common questions we seem to be asked more recently has to do with fibroids. Rose on Instagram is asking, she said, can you talk about fibroids and the effect on fertility? Mine are the size of a grape. She said, what causes them and how do you get rid of them? Yes, good question. Um, yes, many women have fibroids. They tend to be um, women uh, who are older. Teenagers typically don't have fibroids. Um, they tend to be re- related to estrogen dominance. Um, estrogen dominance. Uh, so we have two major hormones uh, that control our cycle and that are a result of ovulation. One is estrogen and one is progesterone. If a woman isn't ovulating regularly, um, or um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why a woman would make a lot of estrogen. Um, but you could look, Google estrogen dominance causes and find reasons. But um, but estrogen dominance tends to be related, so it's good to, to make sure progesterone is balanced with estrogen, and, and sometimes can, progesterone treatment can help um, with that. And then it's it's very genetically um, you know relate so uh, caused by genetics. So if your mom sisters have fibroids, um, then you're more likely to have them as well. Um, and the fibroids are these little tiny muscular tumors or growths that can occur in ev- in all layers of the uh, the uterus. So the uterus has many many layers, and then there's the inside of the uterus by the lining where the baby w- would start to grow, and then the on the outside of the uterus. So if a fibroid is is on the outside of the uterus or within the muscle layer of the uterus, in other words, um, in kind of a superficial place on the uterus, on the outside, if you will, it, it usually has no impact on fertility whatsoever. And that's the good news, especially if it's really, really small. Um, but the fibroids that grow within the lining of the uterus could negatively impact fertility. So it's important to uh, get that information from the gynecologist, usually through an ultrasound, that they can make that distinction and they'll tell you easily whether or not the fibroid is any 
thing to worry about or not. And and I will say one more thing: if if a woman does, if, if a woman hears the news that a fibroid is affecting fertility, she needs to seek out a doctor, a surgeon who, um, because it is treated by surgery, um, a doctor who is a specialist in treating fibroids. Um, because if if you go to a general OBGYN. Uh, they may not have the surgical techniques or the just the experience to pro- properly treat a fibroid, um, and your your doctor may not have the humility to say that they they aren't a specialist. So, um, so that's important um, to kind of look on your own to see who would be a specialist um, in in fertility sur- surgery, kind of like a napro doctor, but it wouldn't even need to be a napro doctor because there are many doctors who are certified in special. Uh, skills um, in terms of treating fibroids. And our NAPRO physicians are experts at this. Not all NAPRO physicians are surgeons. My NAPRO physician in San Diego was one who was a surgeon, so you can find them sometimes just traveling a little further. But what I highly uh, appreciate about our NAPRO physicians is the moderation that is used in entering into surgery and with what is done to begin with. Okay, more questions are coming in. Genevieve from Riverside, California has a question about embryo, embryo adoption. Genevieve, welcome to Trend. What's your question today? What is the church's position on embryo donation? That's what I did. I, we were told we couldn't have, you know, my husband wasn't able to produce viable sperm. And then the doctor mentioned we have this program. So we did it. And I have my boys. Um, the- Genevieve, thank you for your yeah. question. Dr. Caldwell, would you like to start by answering? Sure, Genevieve, thank you um, for asking. I don't know, maybe uh, Timmy, you know for sure. I don't know that yes. the church has, you do know. Okay. Yeah, yes. go ahead and yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Embryo adoption or do- and donation um, is one of those concerns because the problem is is that in the process of um, retrieving the embryo, what is used, as you know, Genevieve, in the process um, would be means such as uh, in creating the human life, often masturbation on the part of the man as well as on the part of the woman. It would include harm for te- harmful technologies such as in the harvesting of the eggs of the woman, which is actually very damaging for a woman. It can lead her, as Dr. Caldwell can speak more to, um, into early menopause. The woman is not meant to have multiple eggs harvested at once. And so the church is against the process of getting there. And so therefore, then you Mm -hmm. have many embryos, as we know, due to in vitro fertilization and surrogacy, where there are millions upon millions of embryos we believe today that are frozen awaiting to be implanted in the church it's a hard response and a lot of people have a difficult time swallowing it genevieve and it is it's one we have to kind of ponder and pray with to understand that the church emphasizes because the means of getting to the point of creating these new babies in the earliest stages of life that is embryo the embryonic stage because the means of getting there was not good there is no good and wholesome way in which we can handle what to do with these new babies now that they're Mm -hmm. here and so what's difficult is there's not been a definitive yes we should just let the babies for example defrost and die and there's also not been a definitive yes we should just allow these babies to be adopted and implanted as you're sharing with your own circumstance and so it leaves us as catholics saying 
but what about all these babies? But what the church is trying to direct our eyes toward is seeing when we get ourselves into such a mess as this, we find ourselves in a situation that isn't just easily solvable. Now, mm-hmm. that said, Genevieve, and I want to hear your thoughts in a moment, Dr. Caldwell. I know you can speak mm-hmm. to the harm of um, harvesting the eggs yes. to begin with. But that said, Genevieve, if you didn't know this, your level of culpability in that situation is not there. Grant, we all have mm-hmm. our consciences and we may have you know, thought, you know, I don't think this is quite right, but I really want a child. And this is why, praise the Lord, we are Catholic and we have confession mm-hmm. and that is a great gift. But again, if you did not know this, you know, this is why you're asking the question now. And again, mm-hmm. we do celebrate and we love children even if the mm-hmm. means of getting there was not right. We don't celebrate the means. We don't encourage the means, but we do celebrate children. Dr. Caldwell, can you speak a yes. little bit to um, egg harvesting and the impact on the body? Oh, my goodness. It is so hard on a woman's body. A woman is injected. Usually a woman has to take birth control um, to, uh, for a while to kind of quiet down her natural reproductive hormones. And then she's injected with large amounts of hormones that stimulate her follicles to overproduce um, many, many uh, dozens um, of, of follicles, which is so not natural. So she's producing these huge amounts of estrogen, like we just mentioned. A lot of estrogen is very harmful to a woman's body. It increases her risk of breast cancer and and uterine cancer, to, to name a few. Um, and and then what, what happened to me when that happened is I had something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, where it affected um, I, I, my, I had severe abdominal pain. I had all, all this fluid that was dumped into my abdomen, which was extremely painful. I was in the hospital, had to be put on fluids. I couldn't eat for days. Um, I really, um, I could have died, honestly, if I hadn't been a healthier person um, with that. So it's just terrible. I would like to say, I don't know if if y'all talked about this before on the show, but there is a wonderful ministry out there called Sacred Heart Guardians, and they are a Catholic ministry that seeks to um, help bury, provide a, a Christian, a Catholic burial for any embryos um, out there for, let's say, parents. Like I remember we had embryos that were saved and we had to make the decision of what to do with them later. And so many people come to the realization that they have to make a decision on these babies or, or, or maybe their conscience is telling them they have to make a decision. And one of the licit ways is to provide a proper burial for those embryos. And the Sacred Heart Guardians mm-hmm. um, Ministry does mm-hmm. that. And that's just beautiful. That's a beautiful option. And that even speaks to the crisis that many women are experiencing with a miscarriage and how uh, dehumanizing Mm -hmm. that experience is for the parent and for the baby because often these hospitals are not recognizing that baby. Sometimes the hospitals will refuse to give a death certificate. I mean, there's so many things that go on in that situation, but I have found for many women when they have been invited by their parish priest, by their pastor, by the hospital to go through with a burial, it's such a beautiful recognition of the gift of that life, the acknowledgement Mm -hmm. of motherhood and fatherhood, and a step Mm -hmm. in the process of grieving 
in healing. And so that reminds me much of the situation with IVF where, you know, again, the church doesn't say definitively, yes, we should allow these babies to be defrosted. And the church doesn't definitively say, yes, we should be adopting these babies and implanting them. And so that is where a parent could choose to, you know, because there's no means perhaps of just implanting these babies, possibly to let these babies defrost. It's one of those areas in the church where there's a lot of debate among bioethicists. Mm And I know a hard answer to hear. It's one that when I really think about it, like my heart grieves just thinking about these babies, but it's a mess. It's a human mess we've made. Uh, Dr. Susan Caldwell is here with us taking your fertility and infertility questions. And I wanted to share Dr. Caldwell a brief story. Jessica was just on the line with us. She couldn't stay with us because she had to go and pick up her children from school. I'm sorry we couldn't get to hear from her directly, but I wanted to share her story. She said she did IVF. She did it twice, once in 2007 and once in 2008. And both times she miscarried the babies that she was able to mm-hmm. were conceived. So after that, she said she put everything in God's hands and she became pregnant naturally 10 years Mm. later. And I thought, Dr. Caldwell, what a testament to, yes, didn't choose the right means, lost those babies through IVF, but finally through Mm. the heartbreak of that situation goes, Lord, okay, okay, I'm putting it all in your hands. And even just the patients after years of infertility and then choosing Mm. IVF and then miscarriage, all those years later, she has a baby. I mean, what a testament to the patients, but also the biblical narrative where so many women who are barren otherwise have children at miraculous timings. Yes, yes. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful and powerful than a woman surrendering to God's plan, right? And not taking things into her own hands. You know, just living, I've lived on both sides of that. And and the, the, the one where we take things into our own hands, they're good things, right? They're good things. It's just like Eve, you know, in the garden where the fruit, oh, that looks really good. And it'll be, it'll give me extra knowledge and, and all that. And, and just like we do with babies sometimes, it's, it's a natural kind of instinct, a response to just take things into our hands, but it just creates a lot of chaos in our lives and in our hearts. But, but man, if we could surrender, God will bless us beyond belief. So yeah, that's a great reminder of that. Dr. Caldwell, two more questions I want to make sure we get to. First is, is there a NAPRO physician in Illinois and how do I find one near me? We're going to post links on social media to both in-person physicians you can find as well as to some who practice telemedicine as well because not everyone has a NAPRO physician in their area. But can you speak a little bit to getting in contact with those and why that's so important Mm. to choose a NAPRO physician? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's super important because we don't just want to have a baby. We want to find out why the infertility. And answering that question is really what is um, kind of most important for the woman's overall well-being, not just for her desire to have a baby. So we really want to know why. So the NAPRO doctors look beneath the surface. They don't just try to fix the problem of infertility, but they ask the question, what is keeping the woman from being healthy and therefore fertile? Um, so I'm looking on fertilitycare.net. And when you go there, there's a, there's a, um, at the top, there's a drop down uh, under NAPRA technology and it says find a medical consultant. You click on that and it shows state by state. And there are three in Illinois, and I'm sorry, one, two, three, four listed in Illinois. 
um, there. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not familiar with Illinois, so I don't know where um, they are related to um, the question, the questioner's location, but um, they could go there. And then also, um, you said you're going to post some links for My Catholic Doctor, and you can always call the Pope Paul VI Institute, um, and they keep kind of tabs on, on all the, the doctors around the country and the, and the world, so they could help you find somebody as well. That's Dr. Susan Caldwell. Another question came in. And again, just to be clear, we posted those links on social media as well as they'll be in the podcast notes for today's episode. Please, if you know someone facing fertility, infertility, share this with a friend. I'm so grateful, Dr. Caldwell, that I knew about fertility and infertility um, through NAPRO technology because I had, before getting married, various health problems relating to food allergies and undiagnosed autoimmune diseases. And it wasn't until, and they told me, you, know, you may not be able to have kids. You're going to have a tough time. And I always just, you know, prayed and, you know, you know, facing peace with that. And then I got married and, you know, we weren't, of course, able to have children right, right away. And so I went and saw the NAPRO physician. And for the first time, I finally received an official diagnosis with what autoimmune diseases I was yeah. experiencing and how we were going to treat this to help because mm -hmm. I was at high risk for miscarriage and the inability to conceive children to begin with. So I think that what you're saying is so important that people have this resource. And again, it's fertilitycare.org, just to clarify, fertilitycare.org. Uh, Dr. Caldwell, another question came in from Michaela on Instagram asking about the impact of IVF on your body when you went through it. Mm. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago about the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, so that um, made me very sick uh, for the first few weeks of the pregnancy. I was hospitalized. I was dependent on IV fluids for a few days. And then, of course, that made me very, you know, not well um, as, a, as a new mom. And then I was pregnant with triplets, which is not ever the goal, right? They, they really are always trying to find, you know, maybe one baby because every time you 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 know are pregnant with more than one baby that really increases the risk of the pregnancy to the mom and to the babies. So I had triplets. Then I had subchorionic hemorrhage, which is a bleeding beneath the placenta in the uterus of each of the babies, causing the loss of one baby at nine weeks. And then I was on bed rest for the entire pregnancy for the other two to be sure because I was really not well throughout the pregnancy. I had a very risky pregnancy. Um, because of that subchorionic hemorrhage, I, we were waiting. You know, every week we'd go get an ultrasound and expecting a um, another miscarriage. So I was I was terrified the entire time, um, and then the pregnancy just wasn't very healthy the whole time. I had to be monitored very very closely for one thing or another, um, and then they were um, praise God they delivered at thirty six weeks, um, and then. Uh, through one through va vaginal delivery and one through a C-section. Then my C-section scar, my C-section wound opened. And, and then I had, um, <laughs> this sounds terrible. Then I had a, um, a, a bowel, like a, um, my bowels, because of all the, tr the fluid that they had to give me for that complicated delivery, um, I had a blocked um, bowel. And so, that, so I had to be put on, you know, I couldn't eat. And I had an, mm. a tube into my, my stomach giving me food oh. while I'm breastfeeding twins and had an open wound on my stomach. Oh, my So goodness. it was horrific. It was horrific. <laughs> 
for me, right? But nothing compared to the, the you know, 20 babies or so that lost their lives, right? So, um, and, and thankfully, I, they were fine. I finally recovered. I was able to go back to work like five months later. So I lost a year and a half of my life, really, mm-hmm. because of that complicated mm-hmm. pregnancy. Now, that's a little unusual, but really, no. I mean, it's very, it's hard on a woman's body to go through IVF for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no one's really talking about it. And vast majority of IVF rounds and attempts are failed. It's very expensive. People are going into debt and financing yeah. this. Um, and it's a false promise. Yeah. The success rate of IVF is very low. And people are often not telling you when they go through that process because it is so difficult on them. And this is why we want to provide those resources and that truth. Very briefly, we just have a minute here, Dr. Caldwell, healing. Can you speak to the healing you went through, you know, years later when you come back into the Catholic church and confession? I know that's a lot to ask, but for those who have been there to know that healing is there and that God forgives all things. Amen. Oh man. I mean, honestly, I am so grateful. I hate to say it, but like, you know, the sin that separated, you know, I got the sin of just being so self self sufficient and self reliant on my own, I'm gonna I'm gonna I have my my goals and I'm gonna reach my goals and and I just got to the end of my strength and got I felt so empty I felt so anxious um so I wasn't you know so burdened to kind of find my own way to happiness and I wasn't meant to do that I was I'm putting on false burdens for myself and so once I started to learn the, the truth of God's plan what he what he really desires for women, why birth control and why IVF and, and those artificial means are just not good for us, either for our bodies, for our souls. I started learning about that gently. He was so gentle, Jesus, le- just letting me know so, so gently. I never felt, you know, like that, that it, it, there was any kind of harsh um, uh, punishment for, of me ever. And I, I remember going to that, that, that first confession. It was so hard for me to bring, go to confession, but but man, the, the priest was so gentle and I knew that that was Jesus. And, and so it, it, you know, that was about 10 years ago when I went to that confession and then slowly and slowly, you know, over, over time, I've just received so much healing just as I've opened myself to just the truth of, of God's love for me. And, and now I can, I can really reflect that love to, to all the women that I see. And it's so powerful. You know, I see it. I mean, the women tell me, you know, that that they just, um, that they feel just really seen. Um, and so I think when a woman opens to the gift of that grace and re- her st- soul becomes restored, she becomes just a, a fountain of life for other people, which the world desperately needs. So I encourage any woman, yeah, to go, go to confession and learn what God's, God's healing love, what that is, what that feels like. It's beautiful. Dr. Caldwell, thank you for your candidness, your openness to share your professional expertise as well as your personal story with so much hope and encouragement and mercy in the church. Um, thank you for being with us. You can find Dr. Caldwell at drsusancaldwell.com. That's drsusan, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L.com. That's her blog. We've also tagged her on Instagram. She puts great posts up about fertility. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. We're going to unpack the virtue and fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is goodness. But before we do, a question came in on Instagram about abortion from Skeezy. He said, I consider myself very much pro-life, but do you think there are moral exceptions for abortion? This is a great question because I think a lot of people who are pro-life are almost uh, some are scared of that question that is so difficult that they feel like they'd have to cave and say, you know what, it's okay to have an abortion. We shouldn't be scared of this question because the answer to the question, do you think there are any moral exceptions for abortion? No, there are not any moral exceptions to intentionally go in and kill a human person. The argument and stories can sometimes sound compelling and they can even evoke profound empathy in us. And even cause us to be concerned about the uncertainty for the future, but that never justifies intentionally going in and directly killing a baby in the womb. An example I think that can be compelling but isn't a reason for an abortion would be, let's say, someone who has a medical diagnosis and to receive the treatment that they need could be detrimental to the baby, causing defects in the baby, developmental problems, and or possibly even death. Now, receiving a necessary medical treatment that is not intentionally being used for the direct killing of a child could be up to the parent. A very difficult choice, but they could choose to go through that medical treatment. And yes, it could do damage to and possibly even kill that baby. But they were also receiving life-saving care. Now, On the other end, that same parent who's going through a very serious medical diagnosis could heroically choose to forego and wait to receive harmful medical treatment for a baby until that baby's delivered. In fact, there's one woman who I ask you to pray with for right now who she's pregnant and she has this this type of medical situation and she's foregoing heroically medical treatment, necessary medical treatment until the baby's early enough old enough and developed enough to be delivered early. And so these are people we can pray for in instances, but while we can have empathy for these situations and even see the fear and risk, what if the mom doesn't survive? What if this, what if that? That doesn't mean that within those circumstances, we can ever endorse the killing and intentional taking of a baby's life. It doesn't justify that direct killing of a baby so that a person can receive treatment. person, again, could choose to receive the treatment because they are not directly trying to harm the child but achieve wholeness rather than just going in and killing the baby. And think about it. If they go in and kill the baby, they're also struggling with a medical impact of whatever their medical diagnosis was in addition to the fallout, both medically, spiritually, and emotionally, of having lost a baby as well. That, I mean, depression and anxiety themselves can be a killer. Let's talk about the reality of that, the impact that abortion has had on countless women who have taken their lives and who have spun into massive depressions as a result. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're walking through our 12-part series on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk about the fruit, also known as a virtue of goodness. I talked to my daughter, again, she's 17 months, about being a good girl 
I'll tell her, be a good girl. I'll even, she'll even say it back to me. She'll even whimper when my husband sternly says to her, bad girl, when she's been an absolute pill. It's interesting. We talk to kids about being good, then don't say much of it as the years pass. We might mention someone being a good person or call ourselves a good person almost defensively for ourselves or others. But we also say God is good. Young groups at massive religious youth group events have this chant where one side, one part of the group will chant God is good and the other will say all the time and then the other says all the time and the other group says God is good. I always interpreted this to refer to God's perfection, his love, his beauty, those attributes of God which we love and appreciate so dearly. But it's interesting when we really think about it because what does goodness mean for all of us? not just for children. Being good involves constant, and this is important, being good, that virtue of goodness that we're all meant to personify, involves constantly renouncing evil in our day-to-day actions. Uh, When we are good, that means we are constantly seeking the path of righteousness and striving to do God's will even at the expense of earthly success. St. Joseph is someone who is known as a righteous man. You could also argue good. He was a good man. Uh, Why? Because even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he sought the path of righteousness. He strove to do God's will even at the expense of of earthly success, of earthly ridicule, when people might question what happened. How did Mary become pregnant? And he took responsibility and ownership for that baby, baby Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Again, when we talk about uh, renouncing evil and choosing good and foregoing earthly success, I even think of it an example when I was growing up. My parents had a really good uh, financial investment that they were making. I believe it was in a stock in a various company. And they ended up letting go of the stock because the company was involved in some form to start to get involved in embryonic stem cell research. And so when they found out, they knew that they were morally responsible to let go of that investment. It's an investment that had they held on to would have led to extreme wealth for them. But doing the good and right thing was more important. It brought greater peace. And even if things weren't financially easy, they don't have regrets to this day because they did what was right. And that's not always easy. When we talk about being good, that means constantly renouncing evil in our day-to-day lives. That means we have to know the difference between good and evil identify evil for what it is, call it for what it is, avoid it at all costs, not cooperate, not back down, hold ourselves and others to the standard of goodness, not just children saying please and us considering that good, not just a child sharing us considering that good. Our standard of goodness and expectation should continuously grow as we become older. There's a quote that I think is most telling about when we are younger from St. Don Bosco. He says, in every young person, a point of goodness is accessible. And it is the primary duty of the educator to discover that sensitive cord of the heart so as to draw out the best in the young person. That is, to draw out the goodness in every human being. 
We should be forming and shaping that virtue, that fruit of the Holy Spirit of goodness early on. We should be praying for it. Because if we don't, as the years go on, there'll be a lot of adults struggling and floundering to know what the good even is. Have you joined us yet for our weekly happy hour on trending? This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Mondays, we discuss everything from happiness, although it's fleeting, to joy, which is rooted in God. We address midlife crises, prayer, friendship, job satisfaction, and you name it, because who doesn't want to have lasting happiness, joy rooted in God? Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.